In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from Luke chapter 18, starting from verse 24. The story before this was the rich man who came to the Lord Jesus Christ and asked him, what should I do in order to inherit the kingdom of God? And the Lord asked him, do you know the commandments? He replied, yes, I kept them since my youth. So the Lord told him, you are lacking one thing. Go sell all what you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me carrying your cross. So this uh, young man, when he heard this, he was very sorrowful because he was rich. Verse 24, and when Jesus saw that, he became very sorrowful. He said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. I want you to notice, Jesus did not change the demands of discipleship when the rich man walked away. For example, the Lord did not tell him, come, come back. Uh, not important to sell all what you have. What about just sell 70% or 50% or 30%? Sometimes in our mind, to win people to Christ, we compromise the truth. But it doesn't work this way. We cannot and we should not compromise the commandment of God in order to win people. Actually, you'll be winning them maybe to the physical church, but not to Christ. So this man went and the Lord did not change the requirements of discipleship. But the Lord used the man's sorrow as an occasion to teach his disciples and all who would hear about the danger of riches. The Lord wished to teach them and us that riches are always, always a temptation and a snare. Love of money is the root of all evil. And also, I want you to, to remember, this instant happened few days before entering Jerusalem and then uh, on Hosanna Sunday, Sunday and being crucified. So Judas heard these words only a few days or maybe a few weeks before he sold the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Riches are a problem because they tend to make us satisfied with this life instead of longing for the age to come. And sometimes riches are sought at the expense of seeking God. Most of us think that poverty is a problem. But here the Lord is telling us riches may present much more serious problems than poverty. Verse 35, For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, the needle's eye, you know, when there is a gate uh, for cars right now, I'm speaking for cars right now, on the side of the gates, you will find a small gate. This is a small gate uh, for people to walk in and out. So this is a small gate on the side. It's called the needle's eye. It is for the passengers. Usually, these are the gates for people to walk uh, in the large cities' gates. They leave 
the main gate for the chariots, but if you want to walk, uh, you can go uh, on, on the side gate. So the Lord is saying, it is easier for a camel to press his way through this side gate than a rich man or who trusts in riches can enter the kingdom of God. Others explained, like St. Cyril of, of Alexandria, they said the huge ropes that was used as anchors for the ships were made of camel hair. And sometimes they refer to, the, to these huge ropes as camel. So the Lord is saying about these huge ropes, they are easier to pass through a needle, a big needle, to make the fishing nets than for a rich man to enter the gates of heaven. This comparison, I am sure it appealed to the apostles because many of them were fishermen from Galilee and familiar with ships and the equipment. Sincere of Alexandria said, by camel here, he means not the living thing, the beast of burden, but he meant the thick rope to which sailors tie their anchors. He shows this comparison to be not entirely pointless as a camel would be, but he makes it an exceedingly difficult matter, in fact, next to impossible. So Sincere said, the camel here refers to these thick ropes. So it is almost impossible to let this thick rope enter through the needle. So the Lord here wants to explain how difficult it is. The wealthy often do not feel they need God because they believe their wealth affords them the power to handle any crisis they may face. That's why the Lord listed poverty of the spirit as the first beatitude. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Uh, St. John Chrysostom said, God does not forbid men to be rich. God does not forbid men to be rich. But he forbids them to be slaves of their riches, to trust in their riches. There is no profit in riches while the soul suffer poverty. There is no profit in riches while the soul suffers poverty spiritually. But there is no hurt in poverty while the soul abounds in spiritual wealth. So if my soul is rich spiritually and I am poor, this will not hurt me. But if I am rich and my soul is poor spiritually, this actually what will hurt me. Verse 26, And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? This question is like a childlike question. Uh, they said it in, in, in a simple way, in simplicity, uh, because they assumed that all the people are rich, therefore barely anyone could be saved. Or maybe the apostles had hoped that following the Lord Jesus Christ would make them rich and influential and prominent leaders in the kingdom of the Messiah 
of the immediate future, the earthly kingdom of the Messiah according to their mind. And now they heard from Jesus himself what seemed to them a broad condemnation, excluding all who possessed and all who sought after riches for the kingdom. They did not imagine there was any difficulty for rich men coming into the kingdom of the Messiah, which they took to be a worldly one, the, the kingdom, a worldly one, and would be filled with rich men. Any earthly kingdom, you know, will be filled with rich men. Uh, as for the Jews, salvation seemed to belong by right to the rulers of the synagogues and other rich people. And unfortunately, the thought of the disciples still live until today. Many of us, we think that wealth and intellect make men better. But acknowledging that we need God, this is the first step in a spiritual journey to salvation. So to this question, who then can be saved, verse 27, the Lord replied, but he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So yes, it is impossible if we want to do this on our own, by our own effort, or from man's point of view. But the grace of God is enough to save rich people. And we have example, people like Zacchaeus, Joseph of Arimathea, and Barnabas, and many, many. These were rich people and were saved. Impossible for rich people to be saved like this rich man, young ruler, who had many, uh, had a lot of money, and that's why he went sorrowful. Uh, so it is difficult also for a rich man like the Pharisee who said, I pay the tithe of all, of all what you have. But it is not impossible with God if we are pursuing and seeking God. God gives this salvation as a perfectly free gift and completely undeserved, completely unmerited, as he did to the prodigal son when he returned. He gave him all his riches, or the publican when he beat his chest. The publican said in a voiceless morning, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And as God on the cross will give this salvation to the penitent thief dying on the cross. Then Peter in verse 28 said, See, we have left all and followed you. So the disciples and the apostles recognized that they have done what the young rich man was unable to do. The disciples did give up everything, or mostly everything, to follow Jesus. The ruler had failed when the test was applied to him. Go sell what you have and follow me. And he was a clear example of failure in the rich to enter the kingdom. But the apostles, they had not failed when the test was applied to them and the Lord asked them to follow him. They had given up all things for his sake. That's why the apostles in the person of Peter asked again in the simplicity of their hearts, uh, what would be our reward? We left everything 
and we followed you. Verse 29, So he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. So the master responded by saying that his promises are not only for his disciples, but for all who follow him, anyone who follows me. Yes, we know that the 12 will have a unique reward, as we read in Matthew 19, 28, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. But there will be universal honor of all who sacrifice for Jesus' sake. Whatever has been given up for him will be returned to us many times over, both in this present time and also in the age to come, we will receive eternal life. But I want to explain that many times more, obviously not meant in a material sense. Because the Lord did not promise a hundred mothers and a hundred wives. He who leaves father or mother or wife will receive hundredfold. So the Lord did not mean that you will have hundred mother or hundred wives. But many times over, is spiritual in its fulfillment. So you will be satisfied with your life. You will be happy. You will be content with your life. God here will be a debtor to God will be a debtor to no man. He will repay us back. It is impossible for us to give more to God than what he gives it back to us. And having and keeping the heart of a giver will keep us from being corrupted by riches. And this is one of that God will give us back. As we read in Psalm 62 and verse 10, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them and giving is key. Verse 31, Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. It is appropriate for the Christian to be released from the bondage of the love of money, and from the chains of asking for temporal wealth. Because it is impossible to be blessed with the crucified Christ in his glory without sharing him the cross. And in order to share in his cross, you need actually to be released from the bondage of the love of money. And here the Lord Jesus directed the attention of his disciples toward his cross, his pain, his death as a true way to glory. They were traveling on the road to Jerusalem to the feast of Passover and privately he delivered to them what follows, what will happen during this week. He told them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by prophets, all things that are written by prophets, all things, the Lord emphasized the aspects concerning the Son of Man, all things that were prophesied by the prophets. But unfortunately, many things that related to the suffering of the Messiah 
were neglected and overlooked by Jewish people of his day. They did not pay attention to the prophecies that the Messiah would suffer and die as a sin-bearing servant. Before the Lord outlined the passions to the disciples in two occasions, but not clearly as right now. Now he is saying in details what will happen, as we read in verse 32, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. So now he is saying clearly what will happen. So he reminded them of his coming suffering and death, emphasizing the shame and humiliation he would bear. He will be delivered to the Gentiles, and unfortunately one of his disciples would deliver him over to the religious leaders for money. Jesus did not arrange his own betrayal, but he prophesied about it. They will scourge him. This sharp and brutal whipping was a particular agony and humiliation to endure. The Lord suffered from the disloyalty of friends, from injustice, from deliberate insult and humiliation, from physical pain, from great humiliation and degradation. His suffering would continue to his death. But the Lord victoriously told his disciples that the story would not end by his suffering, humiliation, and death. No, he would rise again in the resurrected glory. Verse 34. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. We know that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, in the Old Testament's prophets testified beforehand his suffering and the glory that should follow. We read it in Isaiah, we read it in the book of Psalms. But the disciples' prejudice were so strong that they would not understand these things literally. They could not imagine to see Jesus being humiliated and dying on the cross. They were so intent upon the prophecies which spoke of Christ's glory, and they overlooked those prophecies spoke about his suffering. Or maybe God did not open their eyes right now to this truth because they could not handle it yet. Verse 35, then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. Jericho is called the city of palms and later on city of perfumes. Jericho was about 18 miles from Jerusalem. And this poor blind man sat by the wayside begging. He was not only blind, but, but also poor. The blind man could not see Jesus, of course, but he could hear him. So learning that Jesus is passing by, the blind man was persistent in making use of this opportunity and take advantage of the presence of Christ. As we read in verse 36, and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked it what it meant, heard a noise. So he said, what's going on? So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before 
warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. In calling out to Jesus, he acknowledges his belief that Jesus is the promised Messiah by using a messianic title, Son of David. And also he kept shouting for his mercy. Saint Ephraim the Syrian described those who went before and warned the blind man that he should be quiet. Saint Ephraim the Syrian said, they were trying to prevent him, fearing that his eyes may be opened and the Pharisees might recognize him and be irritated. So they told him to be quiet, to avoid any irritation to the Pharisees. But the blind man, he would not be embarrassed. He would not be quiet. He knew that Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the Messiah. So he kept shouting for his mercy. The blind man's prayer, sitting on the roadside, begging in an effective prayer, though a few words. I hope that all of us who can learn this prayer to cry from our heart, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Verse 40. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Nothing could stop the Lord on his journey to Jerusalem. Yet, he stood still to answer a persistent plea for mercy. With his heart's cry, this man was crying with his heart, so full of faith, he managed to stop the entire procession and find the Lord Jesus ordering them that to bring this blind man to him. And when he drew near, the man heard the Lord asking him, what do you want me to do for you? This is a wonderful and a simple question. God is asked always and until now. In the Old Testament, he asked Solomon, the king, what do you want me to do for you? Ask anything I will give you. Sometimes we don't receive while God wants to give us simply because we don't know how to answer this question. What do you want me to do for you? As St. James said in James chapter 4, verse 2, we don't have because we don't ask. Jesus asked this question with full knowledge that this man is blind and want to be healed. Then why he's asking the question? He knew what he needed and what he wanted, but God still wants us to tell him our needs. Why? As a constant expression of our trust and reliance on him, that we trust he can give us what we need. The blind man knew how to submit to, submit to Jesus. He called Jesus Lord and ask it to receive his sight. Now, he's not only telling him, son of David, but Lord. His persistence is an act of faith. If he doubted that the Lord can heal him, why he kept shouting? So his persistence is an act of faith. And Jesus rewarded him by restoring his sight. As we read in verse 42, then Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. 
The Lord granted the man's request and healed him of blindness. But the Lord connected the man's healing with his faith. Verse 43, And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. The blind man, now healed and saved, began to follow Jesus. The way of Jesus became his way. This was especially significant, considering that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to die and to suffer. There were many notable aspects of the faith of this man that made him ready to receive his sight from the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a faith that wanted Jesus. Faith that knew who he was, the Messiah. Faith that could tell Jesus what it wanted to receive my sight. Faith to call Jesus Lord. God gave us many encouraging promises to pray. And when we pray in faith, grounded on his promises, this prayer will not go in vain. If we rightly understand this miracle, we must come to Christ like the blind man, earnestly beseeching him to open our spiritual eyes and to show us clearly the superiority of his teaching and the value of his salvation. So let's learn from this blind man how to approach him in faith, to know how to answer this question, what do you want me to do for you? And uh, to uh, being persistent in our prayer. Satan will tell us to stop and to be quiet, as these people said to the blind man to be quiet. So approach Jesus in faith, persistence, knowing what uh, you want from the Lord. This concludes chapter 18 from the Gospel of St. Luke. Uh, I will give quick summary in Arabic. كان في القصة بتاعت الشاب الغني اللي راح لسيد المسيح وقال له يا رب ماذا أفعل لأرس الحال أو يوه المعلم الصالح ماذا أفعل لأرس الحال الأبدي فربنا قال له انت عارف الوصايا قال له اه انا حفظتها كلها منذ حدثتي قال له يعوزك شيء واحد ربنا بص كده وشاف قلب الشاب الغني ده متعلق بالمال فقال له بعوزك شيء واحد إيه سببع كل مالك يدير الفقرة وتعالى تبعني حاملا الصليب شاب الغني سمع بس كان قلبه متعلق بالمال فما قدرش ينفذ فمشي وساب السيد المسيح السيد المسيح ما حاولش انه يفاصل معاه بيقول له طيب بلاش تبيع كل مالك بيع خمسين في المية طب ايه رأيك بيع عشرين في المية احنا احيانا لما نحاول نقنع واحد بوسيط ربنا ممكن نحاول نفاصل معاه وان يعني تقول له طب خلاص بلاش تنفذ الروسية كلها طب ايه رأيك تعمل ده بس طب اعمل ده كفاية ربنا ما عملش كده يعني اكيد ربنا بيقول له هي دي الوصية يا تقبلها يا لو عايز تمشي امشي فمش ففي آية 24 يقول فلما رأى يسوع قد حزن قال ما أعصر دخول ذوي الأموال إلى ملكوت الله وفي نفس تاني قال ما أعصر دخول المتكلين على المال لأن محبة المال أصل لكل الشرور المشكلة في مش في الغنى المشكلة في التعلق بالمال 
ودي مش مشكله الاغنياء انما مشكله الفقراء برضه ممكن يكون واحد فقير ومتعلق بالمال وعايز يكون غني بولس الرسول يقول واما الذين يريدون ان يكونوا اغنياء يريدون ان يكونوا اغنياء يعني هم مش اغنياء بس عايزين يبقوا اغنياء يسقطون في تجربه وفخ وشهوات كثيره غبيه ومضره تغرق الناس في العطب والهلاك تيموثاوس الاولى صح 6 فربنا قال صعب ان واحد متكل على المال وبيحب المال يدخل السماء بعدين قال لأن دخول جمل من ثقب إبرة أيسر من أن يدخل غني إلى ملكوت الله المفسرين قالوا أن ثقب الإبرة تعرفين في البوابات الكبيرة حينا يعملوا بوابة صغيرة كده على الجنب للمشاة ويسيبوا البوابة الكبيرة للمركبات فربنا بيقول لو جمل دي كان بيسموه ثقب الإبرة البوابة الصغيرة فيقول لو جمل بدل ما يدخل من البوابة الكبيرة حب يخش من البوابة الصغيرة قال أسهل لجمل يخش من البوابة الصغيرة ديت من أن غني يدخل ملكوت السموات يعني ربنا عايز يقول المتكلين على المال صعب أنهم يخشوا السماء صعب أنهم يخشوا السماء المتكلين على المال قديس كريلوس له تفسير تاني لدخول جمل من صغب إبرا قال الحبال التخينة اللي بيربطوا بيها السفن على الشاطئ الحبال دي بتتعمل من الجمل من شعر الجمل عشان تبقى قوية فبيقول الحبل ده كانوا بيسموه جمل لانه معمول من الشعر بتاع الجمل والابرة ما قصدش الابرة الصغيرة بتاعت الخياطة دي إنما الإبر اللي هي كانوا بيعملوا بها الشبكات شبك بتاع الصيد بس برضو صعب إن حبل التخين ده يدخل من خلال خرم الإبرة بتاع الإبرة الكبيرة بتاع شبك الصيد برضو قديس كرولس بيقول لأن أغلب التلاميذ كانوا صيادين فالتشبيه ده هم هيفهموه دخول جمل من ثقب إبرة أيسر من أن يدخل غني إلى ملكوت الله سيدنا ان البابا سودا كان بيقول بعض بيقول بعض الناس بتطلب المواهب عشان تبعد هو سواء غبينا او مثلا الموهبه العقليه او الناس او اي حاجه دي من المواهب يروحوا القدس فالانسان مجتمع عليها بس هو في بعض الاحيان البني ادم يفهم غلط فيسيء استعمال موهبته يروح القدس مظبوط طبعا لو اساء استخدام الموهبه يعني المال ده عطيه من ربنا لو احنا اتعلقنا به واتعلقنا بالعطيه ونسينا العاطي او المعطي يبقى هو ده الغلط فلما سمعوا قالوا من يستطيع أن يخلص طبعا ده سؤال في براءة لأن هنا الأسامشن أن كل الناس أغنية وكل الناس بيحبوا المال وطبعا الافتراضية دي افتراضية مش, مش سليمة يعني لكن قالوا من يستطيع أن يخلص ربنا خلص أغنية زي زكى العشار زي برنابة كان غني زي يوسف الأرامي كان غني وكتير فهنا ربنا قال لهم غير المستطاع عند الناس مستطاع عند الله لو انت حبيت ربنا حتى لو انت غني ربنا هيحرر قلبك من الاتكال على الغنى والاتكال على المال لكن لو انت متكل على المال وعايز تخلص ده يبقى غير ده صعب زي الشاب الغني كده غير المستطاع عند الناس الشاب الغني لم يستطع بأمواله أنه يخلص ولكن الرسل بطاعتهم لربنا استطاعوا أن يخلصوا يهوذا كان واحد من الرسل لكن من أجل محبته للمال لم يخلص غير المستطاع عند الناس مستطاع عند الله عشان كده أي حاجة نعملها اعملها وانت متكل على ربنا مش متكل على المال فلما التلاميذ سمعوا الكلام ده قالوا له ها نحن قد تركنا كل شيء وتبعناك ربما التلاميذ لما تابعوا المسيح في الأول بيبصوا له ملك أرضي فلحنا نبقى أغنية وهيبقى عندنا 
مراكز عظيمة في المملكة بتاعت المسيح وهنا المسيح بيقول لهم لا ده دخول جمل منصق بإبرة أيسر من دخول غاني ملكوت السماوات فيعني الأمال الأرضية اللي عندهم اتحطمت دلوقتي بعد ما كان عنده زي مثلا يوحنا ويعقوب ولاد زبدي لما قالوا له قول إن واحد يبقى على يمينك واحد على يسارك في مجدك فكل الأمال الأرضية اتحطمت طب احنا هناخد ايه بقى نحن قد تركنا كل شيء وتبعناك الامل اللي كان عندنا ان احنا نبقى عندنا مراكز ومناصب على الارض وغنى ارضي راح هناخد ايه هنحن قد تركنا وهم فعلا تركوا كل شيء وتبعوا المسيح فربنا راح قال لهم الحق اقول لكم ان ليس احد ترك وهنا ربنا عممها مش على الرسل بس اي حد ترك بيتا أو والدين أو إخوة أو أمرأة أو أولاد من أجل ملكوت الله إلا ويأخذ في هذا الزمان أضعافا كثيرة وفي الظهر الآتي الحياة الأبدية طبعا يأخذ أضعافا كثيرة مش بمعنى مادي وإلا مثلا واحد تارك زوجة هيأخذ مئة زوجة هنا على الأرض طبعا لا إنما يأخذ أضعافا كثيرة يعني يأخذ بركات كثيرة عايش في سلام عايش في فرح عايش في قناعة عنده يعني سلام الله الذي يفوق كل عقل وفي الظهر الآتي الحياة الأبدية على الأقل ربنا هيديله قلب طاهر من الفساد بتاع محبة المال لأن محبة المال أصل لكل الشرور وطوبة لأنقياء قلب لأنهم يعينون الله ولما القلب يعين ربنا يقول له معك يا رب لا أريد شيئا على الأرض أنا يا رب معك مش عايز حاجة تاني على الأرض فهنا الأمال بتاعت التلاميذ في الغنى الأرضي اتحطمت حاجة تانية بقى ربنا حب يكشفها لهم إن هي مملكته مش أرضية ده هو جاي عشان يتصلب وجاي عشان يموت عشان كده نعرف اي واحد وثلاثين واخذ الاثنى عشر وقال لهم هنحن صاعدون الى اورشليم وسيتم كل ما هو مكتوب بالانبياء عن ابن الانسان الحقيقة الانبياء تنبأوا عن الام المسيح وعن مجده لكن اليهود والرسل ركزوا على النبوات بتاعت المجد المسيا وما ركزوش على النبوات اللي بتتكلم على ألام المسيا عشان كده ما كانوش مصدقين ولا فاهمين فالمسيح بالرغم ان هو مرتين شرح لهم دي المرة الثالثة فهنا ربنا بيتكلم بوضوح اللي هيحصل لأنه يسلم إلى الأمم يهوزة هيسلمه للعساكر وقادة الدينيين وقادة الدينيين هيسلموه لبلاطس والجنود الرومان وهيصلبوه ويستهزأ به ويشتم ويدفل عليه كل الإهانات ديا ويجلدونه ويقتلونه كل ده حصل فعلا بالتفصيل بس ربنا ما وقفش هنا لما اتكلم على المجد أيضا بلغة النصرة وفي اليوم الثالث يقوم بالرغم الكلام منتهى الوضوح يستهزأ به يشتم يدفل إنما التلاميذ مش قادرين يستوعبوا الكلام ده بطريقة حرفية إن ده ممكن يحصل للمسيح بالرغم أشعية تكلم وداود تكلم والأما هم فلم يفهموا من ذلك شيئا وكان هذا الأمر مخفى عنهم ربما ربنا أخفاه لأن لسه حالتهم مش مستعدة تقبل الكلام ده لسه يعني قلبهم خفيف شوي وها كان هذا الأمر مخفى عنهم ولم يعلموا ما قيل ما فهموش سيد المسيح دلوقتي ماشي خطوة بخطوة لأرشاليم عشان يدخل في أحد الشعنين ليتصلت فكان في مدينة قريبة من أرشاليم حوالي 18 ميل اسمها أريحة فلما اقترب من أريحة كان أعمى جالسا على الطريق يستعطي كان اسمه 
تي ماوس او بار تي ماوس بار يعني ابن فالاعمى ده مش مش شايف لكن بيسمع فلما سمع الجمع مجتازا سأل ما عسى ان يكون هذا ايه الهيصة اللي موجودة دي ايه الضوضاء دي قالوا له فاخبروا ان يسوع نصير مجتاز فصرخ يا يسوع ابن داود الحمد الحقيقة دي صلاة كاملة لانه اعترف به ان هو المسيا لقب ابن داود ده كان من القاب المسيا الحاجة التانية عارف انه في امكانه انه يشفيه ويرحمه عشان كده قال له ارحمني الحاجة الثالثة كلمة صرخ يعني كان بيصلي من عمق قلبه من عمق قلبه كان بيصلي بالحاح الناس اللي هم ماشيين قبل سيد المسيح يقول فانتهره المتقدمون ليسكت اما هو فصرخ اكثر كثيرا يا ابن داود ارحمني ربما الناس دولت على رأي القديس إفرام السورياني بيقول ان هم هم عارفين المسيح ممكن يشفيه فقالوا بس المسيح يشفيه والفريسيني يسمعوا ويبتدوا يعني يتأمروا على المسيح تاني فحب يعني يقولوا له اسكت علشان ما يخشش في يعني مشادة تاني مع الفريسيني لكن هو صرخ اكثر كثيرا يا ابن داود ارحمني الشيطان احنا لما نصلي يقولنا اسكت ربنا ما بيحبكش ربنا زعلان منك ربنا مش هيسمع صلاتك اسكت بطل صلاة لكن احنا مفروض نعمل زي الاعمى ده يقول فصرخ اكثر كثيرا يا ابن داود ارحمني صلاة صغيرة بس قوية جدا يا ابن داود ارحمني حينا لما يكون واحد في البيت ماشي كده في طريق الفضيلة والبيت بعيد عن ربنا فيبتدي يصلي التريقه عليه هو مش مفروض يسكت مفروض يصرخ اكثر كثيرا يا ابن داود ارحمني ربنا كان هدفه اورشليم ومفيش حاجة هتوقف ربنا عن انه يدخل اورشليم لكي ما يخلص العالم لكن صراخ هذا الاعمى وقف السيد المسيح فوقف يسوع وامر ان يقدم اليه ولما اقترب ساله ماذا تريد ان افعل بك لما نقرب من المسيح في الصلاه نقرب بايمان نقرب بالحاح نقرب بصراخ القلب ونبقى عارفين ايه اللي احنا عايزين نطلبه من ربنا قديس يعقوب يقول انتو ما نلتوش لانكم ما سألتوش واللي سأل سأل رضيا لينفق في شهواته فربنا كل ما بنقف نصلي يقول لي اعمل لك ايه انت عايز ايه مني احيانا بنمشي من غير ما ناخد حاجة من ربنا لان احنا بنعرفش نجاوب السؤال ده ربنا سأل السؤال ده لسليمان الملك عايز ايه مني سليمان قال له بص يا رب انا صغير الشعب مسؤوليته كبيرة علي اديني حكمة ربنا الإجابة دي كانت إجابة مثالية قال بص لأنك ما سألتش مال ولا غنى ولا جاه ولا هديك الحكمة محدش زيك يبقى حكيم وهديك كل اللي انت ما طلبتوش يبقى أصلي بإيمان أصلي بلجاجة أصلي من الأعماق وأنا بصلي أطلبه أولا ملكوت الله وبره وهذه كلها تزاد لكم قال له عايزني اعمل ايه طب ما انت يا رب عارف انه اعمى يعني كون عايز ايه عايزك تشفيه ربنا عايز يسمحها منه فانس يقول لك طب ايه فايت ما ربنا عارف انا عايز ايه لا انا مش هقول لا ربنا عايز يسمحها منك ليه عايز يسمحها منك لانك لما بتطلب من ربنا ده معناه ان عندك ايمان وثقة في الله 
فربنا عايز يشوف إيمانك وعايز يشوف ثقتك فيه فقال يا سيد وهنا يعني أكنه اعترف بألوهية المسيح لورد يا سيد يعني يا رب أن أبصر أنا عايز يا رب أفتح وأشوف ربنا لما شاف إيمانه في صراخه في لجاكته في طلبته في إن هو نداء المسيح يا ابن داود ويا سيد قال له أبصر إيمانك قد شفاك اللي خلاك تخف هو الإيمان بتاعك والإيمان ظهر في حاجة تانية بقى يقول وفي الحال أبصر وتبعه وهو يمجد الله احنا نطلب وربنا يدينا ونبعد عن ربنا بعد كده زي ما المثل بيقول صام وصلى لأمر كان يطلبه ولما قضي الأمر ما صام وما صلى إنما شوف إيمان الأعمى ده تبع ربنا على طول وربما بعض التلميذ قالوا له ده احنا رحين ده يصلب وهيدفل عليه ويتشتم لما برضو أنا ماشي معك يا ربنا زي ترنيمة حيث قداني أسير ولو إلى جثماني ولو إلى الصلبي أمشي معه دوما كل حين أنا ماشي معك يا رب وإيه تاني وهو يمجد الله أحيانا نطلب ربنا يدينا وما نشكرش ربنا شافه مرة عشرة برص رجع له واحد بس قال له مش أنا شافت عشرة فين التسعة يا ما ربنا بيدينا وما بنعرفش نمجد ربنا إنما هذا الإنسان كان عنده إيمان عجيب ولما الناس شافوه أيضا وابتدى هو يسبح ربنا يقول وجميع الشعب إزرأوا سبحوا الله بقي فيه نغم التسبيح في الزفة بتاعت المسيح وهو داخل أرشاليم بقي فيه نغمة كل بيسبح ربنا في شفاء الأعمى ده ده مجد ربنا ويخلى جميع يسبحوا ربنا ده كده نهاية صح 18 من إنجيل معلمنا ماري لؤة لإلهنا المجد الدائم إلى الأبد آمين